are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Daily Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. I am excited today. We are in a series right now called Who Are We? We're taking the time to, to revisit this idea of our mission and our vision and our core values. We're processing through what it really means for us as a church, who we are, what we're all about, what do we value, what do we plan to be, what are we longing to be, and how are we going to get there? See, several years ago, we sat down as a congregation, a small group of individuals, and we processed through this idea, God, where are you taking Bethel Assembly. What does our future look like? What do you have in store? So over the last couple weeks, I have recapped our mission. I've recapped our vision. And last Sunday, I gave you our first of seven core values. Today, I'm going to give you the second of our seven core values. I would encourage you, if you have missed any of the previous weeks, Go back on Facebook, go back on our website, go grab a CD, listen to those, and really grab an understanding of who Bethel Assembly is. Allow the DNA that pushes us as a church forward to be the DNA that pushes you as an individual forward. Because after all, this building is not just the church. This building is an avenue or a venue for which God can use us, the church, yes, So the same DNA that's in Bethel Assembly, if you're part of this church, this body, guess what? That same DNA runs through you. So really process through it. Let it speak into your lives today. But this morning, I want to look at a topic that in some churches is very difficult. Praise God, we haven't had an issue here because I believe that we stand firm on our core values and we understand the importance of this particular one. This morning, I want to talk to you about unity. I've titled this morning's message, United We Stand. The Bible says, when the battle is raging, when the war is coming up against us, when we've done everything else we possibly can to stand, what do we need to do? We need to stand. We've got to stand firm. But it's not enough just to stand. We've got to be united in purpose, united in cause, united in our drive of of following after what God has called us to do. Paul is writing to first, or in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, and he says this, I appeal to you. He's using some very strong words there. I encourage you, or one translation says, I beseech thee, brethren. Look at your neighbor and say, I beseech thee. That's a great word, isn't it? Man, one of these days, I keep saying this, one of these days, I'm going to start using that in my regular vocabulary. It's time for staff meeting. I'm going to call the staff. Guys, I beseech thee. Join me for staff meeting. Now, Paul says, I urge you, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you are perfectly united in mind and thoughts. As I stated, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here using a very strong word to grab a hold of their attention. One translation said it this way, I have this serious concern. You must get along. How many of you know if the church can't get along, what hope does this world have? 
Let me say that again. If the church can't get along, what hope does the world have? Now, we won't necessarily always agree on every single detail. Why? Because we're individuals. We have different minds. We have different thought processes. There are things that I'm going to think are great that you are going to dislike. Like, I love McRibs and many of you hate them. It's okay for you to be wrong. But we've got to get along. We've got to move forward. It's a sad day when those that profess to be a Christian cannot move along in unity. Listen carefully to this. I believe that the Christian that moves through life in continual strife with his Christian brothers and sisters is moving through life in a displeasing manner toward God. Let me say that again because it's easy for us to get cantankerous. It's easy for us to become nitpicky. It's easy for us to become critical. And we hang out in that zone, in that realm. But you see, that's not the attitude that I see Jesus calling us to live. Let me say this again. I believe that the, quote, Christian that moves... Why did, why did I put little quotes around that? Because I'm not really sure that their heart's in the right place if they're living a lifestyle that is contradictory to the Word of God. Because the Bible says that, that God is love, and the moment that we accept Jesus into our lives, He takes residence in us. So if, if we are not producing a fruit... That is characteristic of the one that we call that is living in our lives. I'm not really sure that he's living there. Let me move on. I believe that the Christian that moves through life in continual strife with his Christian brother or sister is moving through life in a displeasing manner toward God. I want to challenge you Today, we're going to look at this idea of unity and what does that look like in our lives and how do we achieve real, true, sincere unity. Well, last Sunday, I gave you our very first core value. Anybody remember what that was? We value prayer. Good job. You guys listened last week. It makes me happy. Way to go, Tiff. Way to go. By the way, I'm proud of Tiffany. She is instructing and encouraging and leading her co-workers to listen to our services every week. And this past week, they approached her and they said, can you explain a couple things to us? What does the word empower mean in English? See, there's Spanish-speaking individuals. And, and Tiff, job well done. I'm proud of you, the, the hard work you're doing of sharing the good news of Christ. We value prayer. And this morning, I'm going to give you the second, we value unity. In Psalm chapter 133, verse 1, the psalmist writes this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, please understand something this morning. We are not called to be identical cookie cutters of one another. That's why each one of us has a different personality. You are not like the person sitting directly beside you. You have a different thought process. You have a different sense of humor. 
We're not identical cookie cutters. But we are called to work together as one body for the purpose, the sole purpose of being soul winners for the kingdom of God. Our text says it this way. We are to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Literally meaning to fit together. We must work together, fit together. We must be on the same page in our pursuit of God or we'll find ourselves in battle that is contrary to the plan and the purpose of God. Understand it this way. You are not identical, but you must fit together to complete the picture that God is wanting to paint. You must fit together to complete the portraits, the calling, the purpose, the picture that God has set for this body, Bethel Assembly, to complete. I had my wife go out and pick up a puzzle this week. Specifically asked for one with 300 pieces because we're averaging about 300 people as a congregation. And I put across the front of the platform here all the pieces except for one. Why? Because I'm going to hold on to this. This is my piece to the puzzle. But we as a body of believers, each must use our part and be our part and do our part to complete this puzzle, working together for the sole purpose of completing the portrait that Jesus has in store for us. As you leave the service, I'm going to encourage you to come up and pick up one piece of the puzzle. Now, don't pick up one for your nephew and your great cousin or your second whatever, great grandma's second related whatever. Pick up one for you because you are part of this body. And each one of us hold on to that and put that someplace in your house that every time you look at that, you remember we must work together, fit perfectly together to complete that which God has laid in front of us as a church. It's been said time and time again throughout history about America that united we stand but divided we fall. But I believe this is also true for us as a church. If we do not catch the common goal, if we do not catch the vision, if we do not grasp a hold of the DNA of the church, if we do not begin to work together, to fit together, to complete that portrait, then soon we'll find ourselves divided and ultimately destroyed. Breaks my heart every time I hear of a church that splits. Oftentimes, the split is over something minor. Well, I don't like burnt orange carpet. I think we need to go with some form of fuchsia. By the way, I'm so glad we're not in the 80s anymore. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? Man, we we argue over the most ridiculous things in the world. Here's what's important. That we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for us. That we believe that Jesus rose from the grave, that he's preparing a place for an eternity in heaven for you and for me. And, and all we need to do is ask him to come into our heart and into our lives. And the moment we do that, suddenly our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and we're on our way with him. Amen. By the way, did you know it's okay to be friends with the person that attends a church down the street? I know, I've got, are oh, you ready for this one? 
I'm Assemblies of God boy. I always have been. I grew up Assemblies of God. I'm third generation Assemblies of God pastor. I believe in the Assemblies of God, but I have Baptist pastor friends. I know. I've got a Presbyterian pastor friend. I've got a Methodist pastor friend. And you know what? We're all going to the same heaven. But we're working with the same goal and the same purpose to share the good news of Christ. But as a congregation, Satan wants nothing more than to defeat God's people. He wants nothing more than to get us off track and cause us to lose the piece of a puzzle. Have you ever put a puzzle together and you get to the very end and there's one piece missing? That's Satan's plan for the church. We're working forward. We're painting this portrait. We're laying out the plan that he has in store for us. And there's this one individual that says, I don't want to be in that puzzle anymore. And they yank their piece out and they trash it someplace. Let me encourage you. We've got to work together, fit together perfectly to complete that which God has for the body of Christ. This morning, very quickly, I want to give you three steps to achieving unity. Three things that we need to do in order to achieve unity personally, but also corporately. Number one is this. Focus on the mission. Focus on the mission. It's so easy to find ourselves focusing on that which really doesn't make a hill of beans different. Right? Have you noticed that? It's easy to get to the place that we focus on the the non-necessities and we miss the mark of what God's calling us to do. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, and then verse 4, and we'll come back to 3 in just a few moments. Verse 2 and 4 says this, Then make me truly happy, Paul is writing, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Paul is, uh, he's appealing to the conscience of the church. He's saying it is vital that the body of Christ, that the, the church begins to work together with a heart and a passion for the calling of Christ. He's talking about being an imitator of Jesus himself, not only on Sunday morning, but on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and and Saturday. Every day of the week, every moment, every step you take, every breath you take, every word that you speak, be an imitator of Christ in action and behavior. In all that we do. He says we are to be like-minded in our attitude. Like-mindedness occurs when we have a common purpose that we're passionate about. See, our, our mission. Our mission should be something that we have in common. And as a church, it's simply this. Love, reach, and empower people of all cultures for Jesus Christ. We are called to love one another. We're called to reach out to one another and to empower 
one another. We must allow the mission of the church to be the driving force behind everything we do, moving together with purpose and with passion, working in unity, fitting perfectly together to complete the puzzle that God has for us. The problem is, so many are living life aimlessly, not really grabbing a hold of the calling of God. Just going through the routine of life. Getting up every morning and you have the same thing for breakfast because you're a creature of habit. You get in the car, you drive the same pathway every day because you're a creature of habit. You do the same thing every day at work. You know your routine. You come home and you have dinner. You watch a couple episodes of TV. You, you go to bed and you do the whole thing over the next day. And you miss the whole point of what it means to live a life with Christ. We've got to move together in purpose. We've got to move together and passion. We are called to have a, a vitality of life that is based on the purpose God has given us as a church. And what is that purpose that we have as individuals and as a church? To share our love for Jesus with others and to demonstrate it here at church and in our community. That is our purpose, to share our love for Jesus with one another. To demonstrate that love. I was watching a show last night and my heart was broken in a moment. There's this lady on there that was just beginning a relationship with Christ. And she said it's not even a journey yet. It's kind of a weekend trip right then. She was really kind of processing through. And suddenly her friend says, well, I'm a Christian. She said, how can that be? I've known you for so many years. And her friend said, well, that's just not my, that's not what I do. Then we've missed the mark. If we're silent about the love that we have for Christ, and, and our response is, well, you know, it's just kind of a personal thing. See, the moment you accept Christ, yes, that's a personal. That's, that's, Lord, I surrender my life to you. But from there on out, we're called to be heralds as if we're on the street corner going, God is the way. Jesus has given life. He's what you need. I'm not saying you've got to find yourself a 15-pound black leather, four-inch thick, large print, all the notes, King James Bible, and have a big old box and stand on the corner of Maine and whatever and yell this out. But I'm saying you've got to walk the walk and you've got to talk the talk and you've got to do your part to fit together as the body of Christ, to share the good news of Christ, to for the sole purpose of sharing the love of Jesus with everyone here and in the community. That's what we're called to do. We're to reflect who Jesus is in and through our lives. It's like the little boy that left church one Sunday morning and he, he looks at his grandpa as they're driving down the road and he says, Grandpa, how big is God? And his grandpa said, well, God's bigger than anything you will ever experience in your life. Little boy thought for a moment. He said, Well, when we ask Jesus to forgive us, don't we invite him into our lives? His grandpa said, Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We, we, we invite him to come in and he comes part of who we are. Little boy thinks again for a moment. He says, Well, if God is bigger than everything and, 
And we're to invite him into our lives the moment we receive him as our Savior and he's inside of us. Shouldn't he shine through? Wow. Shouldn't he shine through? Church, we must have so much of God inside of us and in our lives that he cannot help but to shine through and to overflow in our daily lives, in everything we say, in everything we do here at church and in our community. We must stay focused on the mission. We must stay focused on our calling, moving together, fitting perfectly together, one with another. The second step is this. Continuously walk in humility. Wow, that's hard. That's tough. But Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count ourselves more, in humility count ourselves more significant than yourself, count others rather more significant than yourselves. We all tend to want our own way. Too often we compete with other people. We compete with those on our own team. Instead of complimenting one another, we compete with each other. It's kind of like when you were a kid. How many of you have a sibling? How many of you had a little bit of sibling rivalry going on? Come on, only about a third of you raised your hand. How many of you squabbled with your, your siblings, your brothers or your sisters? Some of you boys, you got out in the yard, you had wrestling matches. You were, you were going to find out who was the big dog in the house. Yeah, that's what we did. We, we competed with one another. We tried to outdo one another. The problem is we're a lot older and we're more sophisticated now. But some of us are still competing with our brothers and sisters. Yet at this point, it's not necessarily blood relative, but it's those in the family of Christ. We forget that we're on the same team. We forget that we are part of the same family. We forget that we're part of the same portrait that God is wanting to complete, and we're holding our piece of the puzzle. We, rather than joining the team and pursuing the mission, we scheme and we complain We gossip, we backbite, just so that we can acquire our own personal preference or get our own way. Look around the room this morning. We're a family. Bethel Assembly, we're we're one body, working together with one purpose and one goal. We're on the same team. But James chapter 4 verse 2 says this, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you rage war to take it away from them. I want you to think of your own life right now. Is that where you're living? You're trying to achieve what you don't have, so you're doing everything you possibly can. You're scheming. 
Maybe you're not physically killing, but you're killing emotionally. You're killing spiritually. You're killing relationally. Just to get your own way. You're jealous of one another. Because here's the problem. When, when my wants conflict with your wants, or your wants conflict with someone else's wants, there's trouble. You don't believe that. Look on social media. Look on any newscast. Look across our culture right now. There's the problem. It's not this issue or that issue. It's this issue. We've got a heart issue. We've got something going wrong on the inside. So we're scheming and we're killing. We're backbiting. We're gossiping. We're hurting. We're endangering just so that we can get our own way. But Paul says it this way. Think of others as more important than yourself. Because we're all part of the same portrait. Fitting perfectly together. So the most practical test of whether we have this attitude is proven by our thoughts. Are you more interested in self-gain or the growth and advancement of someone else? Do we take the time to listen or are we often way too quick to respond? Are we interested in building the team or more interested in self-promotion? You see, here's the problem that I think we have in our culture. And the sad thing is that problem is beginning to drift into the church. It's called self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. But understand this this morning. That characteristic is not the characteristic that Christ has designed for you. In fact, it's just the opposite of what He's designed for you. If we want to work in unity for the cause of Christ, there's got to be a, a mindset change. There's got to be a shift in our behavior, a shift in our response. It's as if you're right now taking your piece of the puzzle and you've got the right piece because God has equipped you with the right piece. He sets you up with the right piece. But the problem is we're trying to put it in the wrong direction. Have you ever noticed when you're putting a puzzle together, you can have that piece and you can try to put it in numerous times, but until you turn it, one little shift, one little change, it'll never fit. Right? It's the right piece, but it hasn't been turned the right direction. Some of us in our mindset, some of us in our thought process, there's got to be a, a shift in order for our piece of the puzzle to properly fit in the portrait that God has designed for our lives. We've got to look out for the interest of others. We focus on our mission. We walk in humility. And step number three is this. Daily live like Jesus. Oh, well, pastor... Isn't it enough that I live like Jesus on Sunday morning? No. We must 
daily, the Bible says daily pick up your cross and follow him. It's a daily decision, a daily choice. Not always an easy one. Because there's some days, (laughs) there's some days when I'm not in the right mindset. And I don't want to live like Jesus. Come on, anybody else like that? You guys are so quiet. No, we're all like that. There's that day when you just wake up cranky. You just wake up with an attitude. You just wake up ready for somebody to light that fuse and you're going to go. It's in those days, it's in those moments that I've got to say, God, I need you right now to turn that piece of the puzzle because right now it's not going to fit and I'm not living a life like you. And Lord, I'm not walking the walk with you. And God, I'm not allowing you to shine through in my life. So right now, God, I need so much more of you and so much less of me. Because it's only when I surrender myself to Him. It's only when I turn that that corner. It's only when I have that mindset shift that I'm going to find myself walking daily like Jesus. Amen. Philippians 2.5. You see what we're doing here? We're kind of working through Philippians chapter 2. You you following with me? Philippians 2.5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Look at the person to your right and say, you must have an attitude like Jesus. Now, Now look at this. He doesn't say, I recommend to you. In this moment, he doesn't say, I beseech thee. He doesn't say, I urge you. He doesn't say, I have this strong concern for you. But he says, in this moment, you must. It's a non-negotiable. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Why? Because he was the master of relationships. If you want to know how to live in unity, even those who are hard to get along with, look to Jesus. Grab a hold of the attitude that he had. So what was his attitude? What did that look like? Number one, he didn't demand his rights. Wow, that's, that's so not 2018. Right now where everything is demand my rights. Oh, you're, you're, you're free to have any opinion you want as long as it matches my opinion. Right? But, but Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to demand my rights, but I'm going to look out for somebody else. Jesus demonstrated that. Philippians 2, 6, though he was God, he, Jesus, did not demand or cling to his rights as God. He could have said, you know what? The only way that I'm going to go to earth is if I have a a large entourage. The only way that I'm going to go to earth is if everybody knows in that moment that I'm God and every step that I take, they need to bow before me. He, He could have done that. He had every right to do that. I mean, after all, he was, he's God. Jesus was fully God and fully man. 
He had every right to demand his own rights. But he says, you know what? I'm going to come to this earth to a peasant teenage girl. I'm going to be born in a stable. I'm going to grow up in a carpenter's home. I'm going to work with my hands, helping dad out. I'm just going to live a life. I want to demonstrate real life. Then I'm going to die on a cross, a criminal's cross. I'm going to go through pain and agony. I'm going to go through torture. and I'm going to be beat. And I'm going to have large thorns pierced into my scalp. I have nails through my wrist and my feet. They're going to whip me with a cat of nine tails to the point that I'm almost rec- unrecognizable. I- I'm going to do that for you. I'm not going to demand my own rights as God. But I'm going to do this for you. Why? Because I love you. Because I'm looking out for your best interest. You see, Jesus didn't demand his rights. The second part of his attitude was this. He had a serving attitude. Verse 7 of Philippians 2 says this. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. The phrase gave up literally means emptied himself. Come on, look at this. As I was processing this, and I got to that point, and I looked up the word gave up, and I thought, what is the original language? What does it really mean to, to give up? And it said he emptied himself. I thought, wow, when is the last time that we really, really, really went to the full extent to empty ourselves for someone else? Oh, now we may empty ourselves for something we want, We may empty ourselves for something that benefits us. But when is the last time that you emptied yourself to fulfill your piece of the puzzle? To fulfill what God has called you to do. When is the last time that that you emptied yourself To fulfill the unity for Christ. Jesus has said this, I came to this world not to be served. But he says, "I, I came to this world to serve. To demonstrate what it means to empty myself for someone else. How do you know when you come to that place of obtaining a servant attitude? Well, here's a question you've got to ask yourself. How do you respond when people treat you like a servant? How do you respond when someone treats you like a servant? I remember one time in church many years ago, not here, but many years ago, we as a church were working on something and we were doing different things around the church and 
There was some trash in the worship center that needed to be picked up. And I looked at one of the ladies that was on my team at that time, and she was working in the music department. And I said, hey, would you do me a favor? Can you go into the worship center, and would you pick that trash up so everything is ready for service? And her response was this. Well, that's why we have a cleaning company. Ooh. Wow. How do you respond when someone treats you like a servant? Because Matthew chapter 9 says this, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servants of everyone else. If you want to achieve anything of lasting value for the kingdom of God, if you really want to fulfill your piece of the puzzle, you must learn to serve. You must become a team player. Willing to sacrifice, to empty yourself for the betterments of the whole. You see, Jesus didn't demand his own rights. He, he had a serving attitude, but he was also willing to sacrifice for others. Verse 8 says this, He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus was willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Here's what I've discovered. It's absolutely impossible to achieve this by yourself it's absolutely impossible to live a lifestyle style of total unselfishness on your own it's again our against our human nature human nature says look out for self look out for number one strive for your own rights scheme and kill to get what you want Jesus says, reach out to those that are broken. Be more concerned about others more so than yourself. Live a life to fulfill your purpose, your calling. Put your piece of the puzzle in the right direction. Have a mindset shift, a change in mindset, if need be, in order to fulfill that calling that God has for you. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Make every effort. When it's easy, when it's not so easy, when it seems impossible, even when the person you're talking to is a jerk, Right? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Well, where's the peace come from? From God. His peace, peace surpasses our understanding. God's word tells us that the peace comes from Him. We are to be more than just imitators of Christ. We are to live in such a way that demonstrates Christ in human flesh. It must become a way of life. You see, every day when I consciously choose, look at that word, you're not forced, but when I consciously choose to put someone else's rights before my own, when I consciously 
choose to serve someone else, when I consciously choose to build up someone else rather than tearing them down, when I consciously choose to sacrifice myself, to empty myself for the benefit of someone else, suddenly in that moment I become more like Jesus. I fulfill my purpose and unity is achieved. Amen. But I must consciously choose. I ask you this morning. Are you willing to complete the purpose that God has set out for you? Are you willing to consciously choose to take that piece of the puzzle to shift and turn and adjust accordingly until it fits perfectly into the slot that God has designed for you see my piece of the puzzle it's not like your piece and your piece of the puzzle it's not like your piece every one of our pieces are different every one of our pieces are designed specifically for us our calling our purpose to work together, to fit together, to complete that which God has set before us individually and corporately as a church. Let's pray.